0: Hello, and welcome back to Ministry to State's Bible study through the book of Daniel. My name is Will Stockdale, ministry associate with Ministry to State. And today we are going to be looking at the fifth chapter of Daniel. As with the phrase in chapter three, but if not, this chapter features an aspect that has made its way into our cultural vernacular. And that phrase is the writing is on the wall. And in chapter five, we have another powerful and vivid story. Last week, we mentioned that chapter 4 would be our final interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar, and the conclusion of our story ended with him on a high note. He repented of his hubris, was restored to his prior state, and made both private and public declarations praising God. We do not hear any more from him in scripture, but in chapter 5, we are introduced to one of his descendants, Belshazzar. In contrast to the four chapters given to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is only featured in this one chapter. And while Nebuchadnezzar's narrative ends on a high note, the same cannot be said of Belshazzar. You will notice that Darius is also featured in only one chapter, but with Darius, his character is much more filled out. He is given more dimension and depth. By contrast, sandwiched between Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, Belshazzar is something of a shell of a king. There are no great deeds recorded of him. We only see him throwing a lavish party, and clearly negligent of his duties as king. We will continue to break this story down into parts, so let's begin with part one. Daniel five one through 4 The story begins with the introduction of the new king of Babylon. King Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, who succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. In contrast to his predecessor, we are told of no great deeds accomplished by him. There is no retelling of him defeating foes, sacking cities, or even erecting monuments. Rather, what we witness in Belshazzar is a person who is little more than a Bacchanalian party-goer. Consider the way Nebuchadnezzar was introduced in chapter 1. Quote, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. End quote. Or the introduction of Darius in the following chapter. Quote, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom. End quote. While not all their deeds were pleasing to God, they are a striking contrast to Belshazzar. We are told that he held a large feast for 1,000 of his lords. We can assume that the total number of those present was significantly larger than that because we know that his wives and concubines were there as well. While it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar liked to party, it wasn't his pouring libations that set off the crisis of this story. In chapter 2, Belshazzar ordered for the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem to be brought into the feast and used in that den of decadence. Now, these are not simply royal goblets. These were holy items that had been set apart to be solely used for the worship of God of Israel in the temple. To connect this action with the description of Belshazzar, one scholar writes, quote, Belshazzar's only contribution was to profane those sacred and precious vessels from the Lord's house by using them for a feast at which he praised his own gods, gods made out of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, end quote. Belshazzar's orders and actions amount to nothing less than sacrilege and desecration. And it appears that he knew what he was doing. This sets off the action that occurs in part two, Daniel five, five through twelve. We read that, quote, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the king's palace. Immediately Belshazzar was terrified. In verse six we read that his color changed, his thoughts frightened him, his limbs were weak, and his knees knocked. In this state of desperation, he called for the usual suspects to be brought in to interpret the dream. And when they were unable to fulfill the command, his mom stepped in. While such an action would not be perceived as utterly humiliating in our context, for Belshazzar to be shown up by his mom in front of a thousand lords as well as his wives and concubines would have been supremely embarrassing for him. This individual who was supposed to be running a kingdom did not even know where to look for help. In describing Daniel, the queen mother said that he had the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. There is something of a play on words here. Scripture describes Belshazzar's knees as going weak. The actual phrase is something along the lines of the knots of his bowels were loosened. That is, the king was so frightened by the appearance of the hand that he appears to have wet himself. Additionally, the queen mother describes Daniel as being able to loosen knots or solve problems. When you read the story with this pun, it adds a level of humor and comedy. Maybe she saw something or smelled something, though not very pleasant thoughts. Either way, this is turning into quite the embarrassing situation for the party king. And now we turn to part three, Daniel five thirteen through 16. Heeding his mother's advice, Belshazzar brought Daniel in to interpret the riddle. The way the king addressed Daniel tells us something further about this king. In verses 11 and 12, the queen mother described Daniel in glowing terms. This description appears to give the king confidence to bring Daniel before him. But once Daniel arrived, the king felt the need to, in his mind, I suppose, knock Daniel down a few rungs, quote, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah, end quote. That is, the king was sort of saying, I don't care about your reputation. You're still just a political prisoner. And if it wasn't for my dad, you wouldn't even be a famous prisoner. You know, I'm sure that we have all experienced something along these lines at some point or maybe even multiple points in our lives. At one minute, we are loved and valued for the things that we can bring to the table. Our looks, business acumen, intelligence, humor, friendliness, athletic ability, whatever it is. We might be valued for that thing one moment only to be considered inadequate in it the next. And Daniel, we witness the importance of remembering from where we ought to seek approval. And the question is from where do we hope to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant? He went on to tell Daniel that he had heard that he was able to, quote, solve riddles, that is, once again loosen and knots. And according to Lucas, quote, when Belshazzar repeats this to Daniel's face, the irony turns to comedy, end quote. Daniel's response reminds us that his identity and value was not in being a famous wise man, but was found in being a member of the people of Israel. And we see this in part four, Daniel 5:17 through 28. In this section, Daniel delivers a word to the king and interprets the meaning of the hand and the writing on the wall. Based on the dates we have for the sacking of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and the defeat of Babylon by Persia, it is thought that Daniel was around 80 years old in this story. He'd been around. He had seen much, and he was not impressed by this kid king. Right off the bat, he rejected the gifts offered him for completing his duty. There are potentially a number of reasons for this. Three given by one scholar are, quote, first, He does not want to be under obligation to Belshazzar. Second, he does not want the interpretation to appear connected with personal profit. Third, Daniel uses God's gifts for God's glory rather than for personal advantage. Upon renouncing the gifts, he, apparently unimpressed, read and interpreted the inscription. An observation made by scholars is that chapters 4 and 5 are meant to be mirror opposites of one another. Both involve the humbling of a king, but in one instance the king repents, and in the other the king does not. Furthermore, we get the sense of this mirroring through the fact that Daniel retells the story of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation and restoration. And then the crucial difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar occurs in verse 22. Daniel says, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Not only did the king not humble himself, he insulted the God of heaven through his sacrilegious act of using the holy vessels for a drunken pagan orgy. One final observation about Daniel's speech is that it is highly reminiscent of speeches from other prophets in Scripture. Lucas observes, quote, Many commentators have compared Daniel's speech to those of Hebrew prophets who confronted the kings of Judah and Israel, such as Nathan before David, Elijah before Ahab, and Jeremiah before Zedekiah, end quote. And now we'll take a look at the words inscribed upon the wall. Verse 24 of your Bibles tells us the words were, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. Each of these words is a play on another word, and there have been different suggestions made by different scholars as to which words those are. But rather than wade into that debate, we will look at the interpretation Daniel offers. So he told Belshazzar that Mene, a reference to counting or numbering, meant that God had numbered the days of Belshazzar. Tekel, a reference to the Hebrew verb root that means to weigh, meant that Belshazzar had been weighed and found wanting and parson, a double meaning referring to the kingdom being broken in half and its being given to the Medes and the Persian, that his kingdom would be divided. With that, we turn to the final three verses in part 5, Daniel 5:29 5, through 31. Belshazzar's response to Daniel is anything if not puzzling. The king had just been told that his empire would soon end, that he is a poor excuse for a king, and that his conquerors would be one of the greatest and mightiest empires in world history. And yet, he gave Daniel the very gifts he said he didn't want. Perhaps this response adds to the image we have of Belshazzar. He was a foolish, tone-deaf king. And as these gifts were being showered on Daniel, I can only imagine that he was nearly flummoxed rolling his eyes at the absurdity and asking himself, did he hear anything I just said? Belshazzar was deaf not only to Daniel, but to the warnings God had given him through his ancestor Nebuchadnezzar. In conclusion, in Daniel 5, we're introduced to a shallow, hollow king. His actions were sacrilegious and wildly irreverent. In response to these actions, Daniel spoke truthfully, and warned a worthless king of the devastation about to befall him. Daniel was able to speak truthfully because his hope was in the perfect king who would one day come to earth and restore his people. And maybe there is something of a warning for us today in the way Belshazzar treated the sacred. None of us are likely to go out and use communion cups and serving plates for the purposes similar to those of Belshazzar. But how do we approach the things that God has given us? When we read Scripture, do we treat it like any other book, or do we read it as the very words of God spoken to His people throughout history and to us today? When we speak about other people, do we do so at their expense, or do we remember that they are the image of God? Or what about creation? Lucas points out the danger when, quote, God's good gifts of creation are no longer seen as gracious gifts to be used with respect out of the reverence for the one who has given them, end quote. What about our culture? Makoto Fujimura says that, quote, culture care restores beauty as a seed of invigoration into the ecosystem of culture. Such care is generative. A well-nurtured culture becomes an environment in which people and creativity thrive, end quote. Whatever it is, God has given us good gifts and we are called to steward them well. Thank you for listening to part five of our Daniel study. We have only two parts left, so tune in next week for chapter six.